Welcome to Time Out with Troy on 101.9 FM. Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of Time Out with Troy. I'm your host, Troy Langstaff. Today on the last episode, I'd like to welcome two of my good friends and fellow sport media professionals, Liam Semple and Jeffrey Warburton. How are you doing, guys? Oh, uh, I can speak for myself here. Uh, I'm doing really well. Uh, I'm sure Jeff is great as well because it's a nice sunny day out here. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Today on the show, we'll be talking about starting off with the conclusion of March Madness tournaments, both the men's and women's sides. And we'll be talking about the upcoming Masters tournament this weekend, starting uh, today, actually. And then we'll get into the MLB, the start of the season. We're officially one week in to the year. So, boys, before we get started here and on this day in history, taking it back to 1974, many, many years before we were born, Hank Aaron, one of the greatest MLB players of all time, of the Atlanta Braves, hit his 715th career home run breaking Babe Ruth's record of 714. 14. This is a pretty interesting story. I did some research into to how it happened, and it unfolded in a pretty weird way, actually. So back in the 1973 season, Hank Aaron hit homer number 713, which was one away from the record. He hit that with only one day left in the season. Starting in the 1974 season, uh, Atlanta started the season on the road in Cincinnati, and the plan from the team and from Hank was that he was going to sit out those first three games in order to tie and break the record while at home. But the commissioner of the MLB didn't let that happen, said he had to play at least two of those games, didn't really have a choice. So in his very first swing, very first at-bat, first swing of the season in Cincinnati, he tied Babe Ruth's record, hit a home run. And then in Atlanta, in his very first game in Atlanta, there was on just under 54,000 fans, which was an Atlanta Braves record. And then he in that game broke the record. So I thought that story was pretty interesting. Thoughts? I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, The fact that the audacity of him to just like, I don't know what he did for the other game because you said he had to play two games in that series. I'm sure he was not, he was trying his hardest not to hit a home run because he, he was controlling the league back then and it, he could hit home runs at will almost, it seemed like. So it, it's pretty crazy to hear a story like that, that, you know, would come out and he they try to make it so he could sit and just get it at home. Yeah, that's a good point. Just doing it at will, it seemed like. But uh, nevertheless, pretty cool. So the first topic of the day, guys, March Madness. We'll start with the men's tournament and the semifinal and championship game were this past weekend. The first semifinal game, Baylor versus Houston, was a bit of a snooze fest. Baylor beat them by uh, 19 points. Nothing much to say about that game. Baylor was all over the Cougars for the entire game. But the other semifinal was probably, it will go down as one of the greatest tournament games of all time. I watched every single minute. Gonzaga ended up beating UCLA uh, off of a Jalen Suggs buzzer beater in overtime. 93-90 to 90 was the final. Did you guys watch that game? Um, I actually didn't watch it. There was uh, I do I do like UCLA. I watched the game before uh, that they won to go to that game against Gonzaga, but I just I don't know. I was busy that night, so I wasn't able to. But I was uh, I did see the people on the internet explode as it happened and saying it was one of the greatest games. So I kind of wish I would have watched it. But uh, yeah, it was crazy how it happened. Apparently, at the end, he 
everyone thought it was tied going into second overtime, and then the Hail Mary shot goes in. Yeah, because yeah, Johnny Juzang for the for the Bruins tied it up with a couple seconds left on a layup. There was three seconds left, tied it up with a layup, and then Suggs inbounded it. And UCLA was kind of starstruck that they just happened to tie the game, so no one was really covering anyone, and no one got on Suggs until he was past half court. Yeah, have you have you seen the show Ted Lasso? Though it's like pretty popular right now. No, that kind of that's the uh, that something similar happens in <laughs> at the, some point in that show. It just reminded me of it. Where you drop the defense with like ten seconds left, or like when you're playing NHL. Mm. Oh when you yeah. Play NHL and like yeah. you t- you get the lead with like a couple like thirty seconds, and you kind of <laughs> slack, and then you just go down and score. Liam, what's so funny over there? Oh, I don't know. Just Jeff. Just Jeff being Jeff. <laughs> yeah, right. But, Settle uh, down. Yeah, it, UCLA was feisty. And, like, I mean, they, they got into the tournament through a playing game, right, with Michigan State. And uh, I don't know what the statistics are, but they definitely were. They I think they were the first 11 seed in the final. Yeah, they were. Yeah. 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 And uh, But that Yanazai guy. And then the other guy who had the crazy hair. I forget what his Tiger name was. Campbell. But he had, like, the hair that kind of. Yeah, he looked like Sideshow Bob out there, but he was good. And you uh, see, they had good shooters. And I think um, Gonzaga, I don't know if they just – well, the spread was 11, I think, going It was oh, – I want to say it was like 14 and a half points or something. Something like that. So it, it's almost like the whole world undermined UCLA going in, but you know, it just shows how momentum can help. And UCLA was like riding a high basically going into that. And, yeah, man, going into that game, UCLA was fresh off of beating the number two seed Atlanta, or sorry, Atlanta, Alabama, and then they beat Michigan by, I think it was just a couple points. Yeah, that was the game, game I watched there at the end. Yeah, but this semifinal game was was back and forth the entire time. I don't, I think the biggest lead was no greater than ten at any point. He just pulled that out of nowhere, but it definitely it was close. But moving on to the final game, Baylor versus Gonzaga. Jeff, did you get? to watch this one uh i watched the second half of it which is actually the half that it was pretty much done in but baylor just absolutely steamrolled them they definitely looked like the better team uh the whole way and it's it's surprising because gonzaga was going for the undefeated season but yeah uh like you said in the notes it's an absolute it was an absolute snooze fest by the time the second came around (laughs) because they would get like they would get a couple points there but it just seemed like baylor couldn't miss like there wasn't that point yeah. in the game where like they just start missing everything. You know, in basketball, that happens where there'll be a point where you hit everything and then you'll just start missing. Like they never hit that. They were just they were getting good layups. The defense wasn't that great on them. It ended up being a 16 point win. So it's just going off your point there. Baylor led for the entire game. They didn't trail for a second. I have here in my notes here four and a half minutes into the game. The score was 11 to four, which is a seven point difference. And that was as close as the game ever was. Never got within seven points is that's the last thing you want to happen in the championship game. Uh, Liam, did you get to watch it? Uh, I watched the first half and then I stopped because it was a joke. And <laughs> Fair enough. I realized that this game was completely over. But from what I saw, like, well, the Drew Timmy on or I forget how to say his name, but I think yep. it's Timmy on, on Gonzaga. He was shut down the whole game. And that was kind of Gonzaga's strategy going in, considering they aren't that great of a shooting team in comparison to Baylor, who came in and they were the top three point uh, percentage team in the NCAA all year. Yeah, and I, I think that just 
came out to put them I mean they were way ahead the whole game and and their shooting didn't stop it's not like they didn't get cold at all they they controlled the game and as well um offensive rebounds was huge like they kept getting two or three shots before Gonzaga even got the ball back because they they were just controlling the paint and around the point yeah exactly it was must have been a late start for you guys it was i think it was a 9 930 yeah, eastern start 10, 15, 10, yeah, it was like the yeah. the Oilers halves game, which we're going to talk about. Was just finishing up. That's why I what didn't watch the first <laughs> half, only the second. What happened? What happened in that game, Jeff? Yeah, it was uh, another <laughs> a, lo- a blown Jeff's, lead. But yeah, Jeff's an Oilers fan. I'm feeling a lot better about this game tonight against the Sens, which we've beaten seven times in a row. Liam. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, hey, anything can happen. Matt Murray's back tonight, so that's cool. We got to talk about the women's basketball, you guys. That was that was huge. Thank as well. you, thank you, Liam. Yeah. So those games, the semifinal and championship game for the women's tournament, both uh, happened on the this past weekend as well. First semifinal, Stanford over South Carolina, and that was probably one of the best games from the women's tournament as well. Went right down to the wire. Uh, South Carolina missed two contested layups after stealing the ball off the inbound with seven seconds left. It was That's a tough finish there for South Carolina. Uh, Stanford had a lot of confidence going into the finals, but before we get there, the other semifinal matchup, Arizona versus UConn, the heavily favored Huskies with the player of the year on Paige Beckers didn't play that great in this game. Ari McDonald from the Wildcats put up 26 points. Paige Beckers was held to 18. I think she only had five or six points in the first half, and Arizona's defense was all over UConn that game. They sort of carried and fed off of their points off of turnovers. But in the championship game, guys, Stanford versus Arizona, this was also a very good game, probably top three game of that tournament as well. Stanford got out to an early lead, 14-3. to But again, Arizona's defense was tough all game, kept them in the game with 12 points off of turnovers. And in total in that game, Stanford had 18 turnovers compared to Arizona's six. And that game also came down right down to the wire. It was a one point victory for Stanford. However, the Wildcats forced the shot clock violation with 6.1 seconds left in the game. So Stanford couldn't even get off a shot to extend their lead to three or four points. And then, of course, Arizona took a timeout to figure out what they were going to do. They inbounded the ball to their hottest player in Ari McDonald once again, who was triple teamed. This was a very controversial ending to the game. She forced up a prayer, prayer three that went off the backboard in the rim. It was closer than I thought it was going to be watching that game live. There was a couple open players for Arizona. Yeah, right down in the corner, the uh, the I forget who who it was, but she was cutting right to the basket there. Yeah, and all she had to do was heave a ball over the three ladies who were covering her, and she would have had an open layup for her teammate. What are you guys doing in that situation? If you're Arizona's head coach and you see that she you you inbound the ball to her, but you have a couple open players, are you upset that she's taken that shot? Well, I what I'm doing is kicking myself now because of how the fact that that's the best play they can get off for the championship where they just get one person hounded like they had six they had six seconds or 6.1 seconds that's a lot of time in basketball tons of time like like people score off like half like 3.3 seconds so the fact that that's the best they could get with all that time to set up was sad 
Um, I mean, <laughs> to get that great of a play that at the end of the game and then not be able to finish on it, it must hurt. Uh, I got to say, though, Stanford was definitely like this whole game, like bend and don't break. Like they were up at one point, like they were up 10 and then they'd get down and it'd be tied or it would be close to being tied. But they just kept bending and like from the very start of the game, but they they wouldn't give up the lead and they wouldn't let. Arizona get the momentum to take a like a sustainable lead and then in the end it just it was just enough for them but that would have been crazy if Arizona scored considering how Stanford was up the whole time yeah that's a good point I'm glad you brought that up actually because like you said Stanford was either up by you know 10 or 11 points or it was a one or two point game with Arizona leading so that's, I think that's a great analogy that you made about the the bend don't break. Any final thoughts on the women's tournament before we move on to the Masters? I, I think it was really impressive, actually, like the whole tournament and a lot of close games. Um, I saw a lot of celebrities and a lot of people who were in, involved with the sport media community were tweeting and posting pictures of them watching the games. And I think it just shows like the quality of the games were very high and uh I think it easily rivals the men's tournament, like in terms of quality that they put out and like how dramatic some of the games were. No, I totally agree. I think it was good to see, especially with what went on at the beginning of the women's tournament with uh, Sedona Prince posting that video of TikTok about the gym amenities. I think it was good to see on TSN the amount of women's games that were being played compared to a normal year. I think it's fine. It's mm. awesome that they're finally starting to get the same amount of coverage in terms of. Uh, the men's and women's March Madness tournaments. But moving on to the Masters, guys, it feels like last year's Masters was just yesterday because that tournament took place in November. Jordan Spieth won this past weekend at Valero, Texas, finally back into his winning form after a three and a half year winless drought. If you guys had to pick a couple players to maybe keep an eye on this week, who do you think we should we should keep an eye on? You want to um, go first? Yeah, Jeff, you go. Okay. Ahead. No, Jeff, you go. Uh, I just wanted to t- uh, comment on the Spieth finally winning. I've been watching a lot of early golf tournaments, and he was—he's been like so good this year. He's made the top five, I think, four times. He finally got the win. Uh, I mean, we know—we all know that golf is such a mental game. The fact that he was able to finally like cash in and have that win under his belt, and now he just has a good start of the season. Now that the win's out of the way. Uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, do I necessarily think he's going to be in the top 10 on Sunday? No, but uh, I'm happy for him. And I actually, you know, I remember when he blew that. I remember when he blew that uh, one where he like went in the yeah. water, like sheesh. But anyway, uh, in terms of players that I think will be good, I got uh, Kepka. He's one of the ones I'm, I'm keeping an eye out. He's been out for a month, but before that, he was playing so well. And he, uh, he is that winning. Walk. He's that winning pedigree, man. He definitely that like if he's playing the Masters and he's there, like he's confident. He's not gonna these coaches wouldn't let him play if he's gonna like suffer a, like a serious serious injury. Like obviously he's there, he's ready to go. He's got that win already this season, like one of the first tournaments of the year. Uh, you know, and when Tiger won in 2019, he was right behind him. He was the guy. So he we know he's got the winning pedigree and he can win. So I give it to him. Uh, Thomas will be interesting. He finally has been playing better after a rocky start to the season. Uh, that's good. I don't know how McElroy is anywhere near the top in terms of betting odds, like that close to some of the guys. Like, well, because McElroy, I mean, he's going for his career grand slam. He's one of the greatest. Yeah, well, yeah. The, the last, uh, okay, the last time he won a tournament was 
or uh, a major was 2013. Look, I'm not saying that, was that eight I years think he's going to win. I'm not saying I think he's going to win, but the fact that I wouldn't put him way below the rest of the guys, but yes, he's had some troubles. He's got a new swing coach, which he needed because he lost what he had, and he has one of the most beautiful swings in the world. Maybe Dude, the most beautiful. Come on. I know I know people like him. I like him too, but let's like – Let's put that out of it. I don't like Patrick Reed, but I'm still going to bet him because he always finishes well in these tournaments. Rory does not. I'm not saying hasn't. Rory's going to win, but I think Rory's definitely going to be he's, – he's definitely going to be up there in contention. No. He, he's no, not going to win, no, because he has no momentum. No, I don't even think he's going to be in contention. He, he usually isn't. Like, when, what, where did he finish the last Masters? He made a run at the end of the day, but the first three days he was out of it by the – like he finished within – I think yeah, because he had one. Yeah, because he had one good day at the end. He start. He was basically out of the tournament okay, after the so first day. He started he so bad. Three. He he has two more good days this year, which I don't think. Look, I'm not saying he's going to win. I'm just saying you're just no. You're sticking with him now that you brought it no, up when I was he is talking not my about dick him. at all. Yeah. Well, he's your man now. No, that's not how it works. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you who my man is. And and you mention him. It's it's Justin Thomas. I think this is his Ooh, time. Nice pick. Every year. Uh, he's every year he's been in the masters, he's gotten better and closer to winning, um, as well. He had a couple days there last year where he struggled a bit, but he picked it up on the other days. I think that it's going to be a heavy hitter who wins. I think we can all agree on that. It's going to be one of the big guys. Uh, I hope it's not DeChambeau. Uh, I know Jeff may be thinking, yeah, yeah. Guys, but I really don't want it to be him. Uh, I think for players who maybe will have a chance, I uh, like Patrick Cantlay. Uh, he's coming in with a bit of momentum. He's consistent every time. He's he's always in the top 20 you see in the leaderboards for tournaments. He's got a good putter on him, which is incredibly important, especially with these greens are going to be 10 times harder than they were in the fall. And I think we can all agree that um, they're going to be faster. Somebody earlier tweeted that they're only at medium speed. They were the other day. So we're hoping, we're hoping they're as, as fast and as just like ice almost. By the time this tournament gets going, um, he missed the cut at the last at the players, which is one of the recent majors there. So I think he may have a little chip on his shoulder to try and get out there and do something. And I think he's a good enough player to get it done. Um, as well, I like Cameron Smith. Uh, last year he was my guy. Interesting. He was my guy last year. I picked him to win. He finished second. So I mean, obviously he ran into. DJ, which was impossible to beat, but he had. Yeah, didn't he have like a record? Yeah, he he shot uh, all four rounds. He shot in the sixties. He's a consistent player. He's one of the best on tee to green. He's he saves strokes with. He's good enough with the putter. He's got great hands around the green, and uh, every year he's done well at the Masters. I, I, he's never missed a cut. Uh, he finished tied for fifth in twenty eighteen. And I think a lot of people have him on the radar in terms of one of the top players coming up now and one of the trendy picks, and I'm going to stick with that. I think that's a good point that you made about Cameron Smith. And Jeff, you touched on the record. Um, for those that don't know, last year, Dustin Johnson shot a 20 under par, which is a master's record, five strokes ahead of Cameron Smith and Sung J.M. That 15 under, I don't know what the record was before 20 under, but 15 is he would have won mostly every yeah year. yeah like, 15 is up there and one of the yeah, greatest scores at but the it was Masters. it was a different time of the year like liam said the greens are going to be way harder now like would he have shot a f- minus 15 when everyone else no. w- like 
It's hard to say you would have won if like the, if that number is getting compared to regular season numbers. Like they couldn't even Fair put enough. some of the the holes, the placements of the pins. They couldn't even put them in the back of some greens because there wasn't enough grass there, just because of the okay. time of year. Question for you, you uh, Deshambo, I wanted to t- touch on quick. So he is my favorite golfer, but. Like he, the thing is with him, he either goes full, he either wins it and has like an amazing weekend, like he did last year when he won his major, and this year at the Arnold, Arnold Palmer, or he just is like out in the first two days or the first day because he's his driving's bad. But last year, and I think this year he's been pretty good. But I know last year for sure he was a top five putter on tour. So do you think that'll? You must think that'll help him. Yes, but. The greens that he's going to play on this spring are going to be a lot different than the Liam, greens that he played on. Liam, all last 2019 was a regular year in terms of playing, and he was a and he was a top five putter. So what are you talking about greens yes, for? Okay. At the Masters, the Masters are completely. It's a completely different golf course. I know, I'm just, but you're just saying, oh, these greens are so crazy to him. He's been on tour for a while, and he's a top five putter. I don't know. It's going to be just as crazy to everyone else. He's not. Look, I'm just saying I hope he doesn't win. That's <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Let's get let's get Troy's thoughts on this. I think a lot of people are with you in saying that they don't want to see uh, Deshambo win. But I think Deshambo is, is one of the most electric players on tour. And that's I think everyone can agree on that. Yeah, so here's my thing. You're in sport media. Your job relies on people making, a, people creating storylines. And who in golf creates more storylines than DeChambeau? It's the same reason why I like the Ball Brothers in the NBA. You may as well like the guys who are going to, like, that are interesting as stuff. Fair point. I mean, he's not going to win. You're going he's, crazy. That's all you got to say but, to that? And we get Troy's picks yeah. already here, and I hope he doesn't say DeChambeau. That's no. all I'm going to say. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm enjoying the the back and forth bickering. I've yet to have this on the show. In terms of my my picks for this tournament, I'm surprised that neither of you said DJ. I've done a couple golf pools recently with, you know, Liam, you've set a couple up. My brother's done some. And if I'm picking first or if there's a pool with DJ in it, I feel like I'd look like a fool if I didn't choose him. So again, I've chosen him. He's my one of my top three golfers going into the weekend surprising pick i'm liking Corey connors i'm not saying he's gonna win it but i think he'll do pretty well he's done pretty well this this year he was he was on the leaderboard or at the top in the top five at the arnold palmer and the players i believe so Uh i think Uh him being a canadian too just makes me want to root for him even more so i'm gonna i'm just gonna stick with those two guys again you can't go wrong with you know John Rom, Justin Thomas, and those guys. Uh, Troy, to your point about DJ, he's like, like you said, he could be considered the best, but this year, this season well, at least, he hasn't year. been good. Yeah, he's had a challenging year. Like, uh, I don't know if he's the best golfer on the world right now. Like, I like right, just because of uh, the year he's had. Like, he hasn't won anything yet yeah. since that really the Masters, but. Uh, like you said, he's so good. He could just have a tour like a weekend, like he did last time, and just like sweep it, even if he's had a tough year. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But again, I'm gonna you know stick to my guns and saying that he's he's not he may yeah he may not be the best golfer in the world right now, but he's top ten. Um, that was good. I think um you know talking about it makes me more excited for the tournament. I'm definitely gonna do my best to to watch most of it. Uh, but. Moving on to 
the start of the MLB. We have a couple minutes left here. Do you guys want to, we can talk about the Blue Jays. We can talk about, you know, COVID postponements. Which one are you guys more interested? Um, I think, well, first off, the fact that there was a full stadium in Texas was pretty crazy. Yeah, I agree. So um, again, for those that weren't aware, the Texas Rangers at their home opener had a sold out stadium or they, they let, they tried to fill their entire yeah which is interesting because they're like the worst team in the league so it's like any team is gonna do a full stadium it's not even a team worth watching like at all yeah i don't think it mattered who was playing though because the fact that everybody was just fired up because they got to actually share it's just funny that like of all the teams it ends up being one of the worst and like the all of baseball yeah i'm not sure what the rules were in terms of what you needed to have going in like if you bought a ticket whether it needed to be you know quarantined before the game or actually get vaccinated mm-hmm. or have a negative they test definitely or... weren't all vaccinated i can confirm yeah that. yeah i can assume safely assume it, it looked the case. it looked very relaxed like i'd say about one fifth of the stadium had masks on yeah. so i don't even know if they were forced to bring masks to the stadium maybe they were a they lot just of them just them had them pocket. around like one side of their face like just on their ear like weren't even wearing them yeah, that's a good point you bring up because I was watching the the Sportsnet feed of the game because I think they weren't playing the Blue Jays, but yeah, they um, were. Oh, they were playing the Blue Jays. Yeah, um, yeah. Dan Shulman was was talking about, um, you know, what the fans needed to have, and he said something about masks being mandatory, and you could clearly tell that not everyone was wearing a mask. Yeah. So. Well, people would probably use the excuse that they were drinking a beer or eating a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Right, and but, why they had a mask on the side. But, yeah. And I didn't see any security guards like talking to people or anything like that. My my uncle was like, my uncle's like, yeah, you're watching the game and behind home plate, there's a group of 12 people at a table like chowing down on the same plate of nachos. And you're trying to like enforce yeah. these rules. Yeah. They were in personal <laughs> suites though, I think. Uh, behind yeah, there's they're just like tables set up like like a regular restaurant. Another thing could have been maybe they just needed to wear their mask if they were walking around and, you know, once they got to their seat, they could take it yeah. off. But even then, that's a that's a silly. But even then, rule. they're sitting six inches from somebody else. So, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I would like to know if there's tests like I would like to know, like, if anybody does get COVID from that or like what the statistics are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but the Blue Jays spring training were pretty hot, but you can take that with a grain of salt. They were sixteen and nine. Um, how are we liking them after the first week, guys? Uh, I'll say I watched. I, I haven't missed an inning yet. They look good. Uh, there's obviously going to be growing pains today. Came out Springer wasn't feeling great after running the bases, which is just like oh my god. But baseball players are made of glass anyway, so you just got to move on. Uh, there's always good parts of the team, like Merriweather being able to throw. 100 or 100 miles per hour fastball and then a 89 change up and then a slider to yeah. strike every like he's struck out five of the six batters he's faced so there's always positive spots and always down spots so i'm overall happy i mean we beat the yankees in a series at, uh, at yankee stadium which we haven't done since like 2016 because we've been so bad since so it's uh it's good to see step in the right direction but the we the Rangers games. I mean, they, you know, they they got blown out by the Rangers. They almost had a yeah, comeback. That was because of pitching. That yeah, was, the, that was their day five the pitching. Was not yeah. Strong. Oh, that was their day five pitching for sure. Like how the bottom of the barrel, but still. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you there, Jeff, because we all know that pitching's the area in which the Blue Jays struggle the most. How is 
what are your thoughts on the pitching? Well, Steven Matz goes uh, 6.1 innings, which is like one of the best start they've had uh, like since like for over a year because they would never let the guys go long last year. Uh, yeah. And he only gave up, he had 10 strikeouts, was it? And like one hit or two hits or something. Uh, yeah, so he looked great. Uh, that could be, the thing about the Blue Jays pitching is I always have faith because Pete Walker is one of the best in the business at helping guys find their stuff. Like Robbie Ray is another guy who's going to be coming back who's apparently looking a lot better and a lot of work with Pete Walker. And when it comes to relievers at the start of the year, the way I think about it is they're such a, it's such a crapshoot on if they're good or not that until they blow a game or play bad, I'm going to think they're good. So it's like, you know, David Phelps, one of their relievers, plays bad, all right, so he's not that good. But then Ryan Barucki plays two innings, looks amazing. So it's just until you blow it, really. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, guys, that's about it for time. We'll end it with another On This Day in History, sticking with the Masters theme back in 2007. Zach Johnson won the Masters tournament. Only two, he won it with a score of one over, I believe. I didn't even write it down. That's silly of me. But only two other times in the Masters history, the winning score was above par back in 1956 and 1958. So pretty interesting to see that. Probably I doubt that'll happen this upcoming weekend. But guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on the very last episode of Time Out with Troy. Yeah, thanks for having us.